Welcome to the fourth episode of the podcast of Lifeliner, The Judy Taylor Story. I am the author, Shireen Jijiboy. Chapter 4 Dr. Cowboy. I have no problem going in the ambulance. You turn that light on, you turn that siren on, you're to stop, pull over, and let me out. Judy is not too happy about all this dramatic fuss over her. The ambulance attendants ignore Judy's outraged wails, expertly push her stretcher into the vehicle, and slam the doors shut. Inside the artificially lit, cramped space, the frosted white lined windows shut out the night but the doors at Judy's feet menace her with the possibility of flying open, of sucking her and her stretcher out onto the road as they race down the Don Valley Parkway, known colloquially as the Parkway, to TGH. She passes out and comes to in her new room. Putrid green walls stare back at her as she looks around, wondering where she is. She's off the stretcher and in a new, proper hospital bed, but the same wad of stained bandages cover up her wound. The same sickly sweet smell perfumes the air. The same warm ooze is slipping over her stomach. Shoes squeak toward her, and she turns her head to see a stocky man with skin the color of milk chocolate and straight thick black hair cut short on the back and sides. He's dressed in a blue shirt, blue pants, and a striped tie, but no white coat. Standing at her bedside, he pronounces his name. I'm Dr. Gigi Boy. A cowboy? A cowboy is her new doctor? Gigi, she guffaws. Suddenly, she fears that the hospital is going to kick her out. A horse is looking after her, so they are going to kick her out. She screams for Cliff, who hears her as he's racing down the hallway looking for her. Gigi boy leaves to search for her husband. Cliff rushes in and grabs her hand. They're kicking me out. You have to stop them, she screams. She can't leave. This is the place they sent her to save her life. Shh, he comforts her. They won't. I've bought the place. It's yours, and you can stay as long as you want. Relieved, she stops. Of course, Cliff will take care of her. She tells him about Dr. Cowboy. Cliff is puzzled. Who's Dr. Cowboy, he asks. Gee, 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 a horse! She sees the cowboy doctor pop back in, followed by a bunch of young men and a nice-looking woman. She points him out to Cliff. Gee, gee! He introduces himself. I'm Dr. Gigi Boy. Is she always like this? He asks Cliff. Is she ever sensible? It's the morphine. He nods and then turns to Judy. In an uncompromising tone, he tells her that he has to examine her to see what they are dealing with. She acquiesces. He undresses her stomach and the smell of rotting meat grows. His face turns grave. A yellowish liquid is eating her skin. Brown muck and blood ooze between the open stitches that had been laced up the middle of her stomach. Only her pleura forms a protective barrier between her innards and the air outside. Tubes emerge from around the hole. The resident beside him can hear faint bowel sounds, even though the bowels supposedly have been removed. Her skin is puckered, dried up, and pale. No wonder it cannot hold the stitches. In the quiet, as the gastroenterologist and his residents contemplate what they see, Judy turns to Cliff and begs him not to let her die. 
Then she turns to Gigi, her new cowboy doctor, and begs him not to let her die. I have three girls, she tells him. Who will look after Cliff and my girls if I die? I have to live. I want to live. She turns to her husband. He has to understand that, she says. I can't stay in the hospital. I can't die. She pleads again with the specialist. He looks right at her with his intense cocoa-colored eyes and nods. She falls back onto her pillows and closes her own hazel eyes. He carefully redresses her and then turns to his residence while Pat, standing nearby, listens as well. He orders cultures of her wound and urine as well as blood tests. He wants her put on ampicillin until they get the cultures back and know precisely what bacteria they are dealing with. And he wants her on 50 milligrams Demerol every six hours to curb her agony while reducing the hallucinations from the morphine. He instructs Pat to put her on IV fluids to rehydrate her and give her ice chips for her dry mouth. Water is too dangerous for her to drink. In her semi-comatose state, she might choke on it. He tells Cliff that he doesn't know if he can keep her alive, but he'll try. Then he leaves. His staff scurries around carrying out his orders, while he spends the rest of the night reading up on nutritional research. Judy has arrived rather too suddenly for him to know what and how to feed her. Short-term patients in the hospital hadn't necessarily needed complete nutrition, but this lady will, as she cannot take anything by mouth. The temporary catheters they currently use will be no good in the long term, and that shunt was a complete failure. He needs to decide what and how to nourish her before talking it over with the pharmacist in the morning. Meanwhile, the first order of business for the residents is to drain her stomach acid to stop it from leaking onto her skin and burning her. A young man in a white coat with a large snake in his hand approaches Judy's bed. He explains, in case she comprehends, We're going to put in an NG tube. You'll hardly feel it. While the nurse stands next to him, he sticks the snake up one of her nostrils. The pain of it snaps her eyes open and she becomes frantic. He tells her to calm down and again explains this is to help her. When she seems calmer, he continues pushing it up her nose until it hits the top with a painful lurch, and then he snakes it down toward the back of her throat, at which point he orders her to swallow. Judy seems perplexed. You won't choke. Swallow. She swallows. The nasogastric tube slides down her esophagus and into her stomach. He tapes it to the side of her nose and her face so that she won't pull it out. He leaves, and Pat catheterizes her urinary tract. She hooks the catheter up to a bag attached to the side of the bed. And when Judy calls out for water, she gives her ice chips to suck on and keeps an eye on her. The cool wetness soothes Judy's mouth. Once she's finished them, Pat fetches an IV kit, punctures her arm, and hooks her up to an IV bottle on a pole next to the bed. Glucose and ampicillin flow into her vein. Finally, she injects her with Demerol. Judy falls asleep. Cliff walks out of her room to head for home, his head down, his feet dragging. He is afraid. You have been listening to Lifeliner, the Judy Taylor story, a biography on a Canadian medical pioneer who made artificial feeding possible, podcast by the author Shireen Boy, one chapter at a time. Music used for this podcast is I Like It Like That by Steph Sachs and The King Is Back by Echoed, licensed under Creative Commons. They can be found at dig.ccmixter.org under Instrumental Music for Film and Video. 
I hope you enjoyed this chapter. For more information or to leave a comment, please check out the website at ggboy.ca or the Twitter feed at Shireen J. So until next time, thank you for listening to Lifeliner. I'm Shireen Gigi Boy.